Welcome, happy warriors, to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. Thanks for being part of the show, and thank you for being a happy warrior. A happy warrior, yes, you are somebody who embraces the challenges of life just the way a fitness enthusiast loves the time in the gym and he loves lifting those weights and pitting himself against the forces that resist him in the hydraulic exercise machine or just as the runner after running a half a mile or so begins to develop a runner's high and he feels that he could run for 20 miles you enjoy the challenge. You embrace the challenge. You are a happy warrior. And uh, you do so with joy in your heart and a happy stride as you walk around. You don't stroll. You don't amble. You move quickly because you've got a life to live and you've got stuff to do and you've got business to take care of. That is part of it. You know what the other part of it is? A happy warrior reads far more than he watches pretty moving pictures. Books are more important than movies, much more important. And above all, a happy warrior is someone who's not distracted, not by politics, not by entertainment, not for anything at all. A happy warrior takes care of the five main departments of his or her life and those are family and if you don't have a family yet you work on making a family and a little later I'll share with you a letter I got from somebody who said that uh, it seems that much of of what you say about building a family has to do with young people but what about somebody who is later in life and looking to build a family Uh, not so easy so we'll talk about that But yes, a happy warrior uh, focuses on his five Fs, the five foci, the five things you focus on. Family, friendships. Yes, you do maintain friendships, absolutely. And um, uh, finance. Yeah, you build your relationship with your finances and you know what they are and you grow them diligently and meticulously and steadily. And so you've got your family and you've got your friendships and you've got your finances and obviously your physical fitness, absolutely for that as well, and then faith, faith as well. And uh, one of the interesting things about faith is that it serves you very valuably. And if you, if, if faith is an empty part of your life, if, if that particular F is is one that just isn't working for you then i suggest you do something about it and there's plenty you can do about it because faith is really important in the areas of well the areas of objectivity what do i mean by that well it's it's really important what i'm talking about there is that uh, you need objectivity in your life you really do. What do I mean by objectivity? I mean that um, you must get used to the idea of measuring your performance, not your excuses. 
And so if you are making a wise habit of monitoring your financial statements, you know, once a month or maybe one, once a week perhaps, and, and you're looking at each thing, you're looking at your, um, your balance sheet and you're looking at your, your receivables and your payables and you're looking at your cash flow statement um, and you, you're doing all these things on a regular basis, that's good. That is an objective way of seeing where you're at. But if, on the other hand, you fall prey to subjectivity, well, then you're going to say, well, the important thing is I've, you know, I tried hard this week or, um, you know, I did, I did better than I did three weeks ago. Not as well as last week. It's sort of ups and downs. But subjective means that you are not looking at objective data because sometimes it hurts. Objective data can sometimes be painful. So I, I really understand why you might well choose to be subjective about it and say, well, you know what, money isn't everything. And, uh, and yes, I'm, I'm not keeping up to my financial plan that I made in January. And now we're already in September and uh, nine months in. And uh, we're almost entering the third quarter of the year. The fourth, excuse me, we're finishing the third quarter. We're about to start the fourth quarter of the year. And I'm nowhere near where I thought I'd be and wanted to be and planned to be. But it's okay because I feel really good about it. You've got to really avoid that. You've got to make every effort to not fall prey to that kind of thinking and to avoid falling into that trap. And uh, you might say, uh, well, uh, you know, um, I, my, my kids are becoming distinctly unlikable. They're de- my children are developing horrible habits, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm not even liking them so much anymore. And you say, well, but, you know, on the other hand, think about it. You know, there's a lot of uh, factors out there. They watch television, and there's kids they play with. And that is, again, avoiding objective reality. Look, it's much more pleasant to be subjective than be objective. There's no question about it. It is much more pleasant because we happy warriors have to learn and absorb deep into our souls that only performance counts, not excuses. And performance is objective. Excuses are subjective. So it's, it's so appealing to develop a subjective mindset. Um, it is a feminine way of thinking and I think you already know I mean that as no slur on womanhood at all, but um, in general, uh, it is a feminine characteristic to be compassionate and to be gentle and to be uh, supportive. And so when you're, and whether you're male or female doesn't make any difference, but when your feminine side achieves dominance, that is when you start thinking in terms of subjectivity and you start making excuses and explain. No, the idea of having five F's is that you can check on them every day or every week at most, and you can objectively measure you know, am I taking care of the family? Am I spending the right amount of time with my wife and my or my husband? Am I spending the right amount of time with my children? Uh, am I monitoring their moral behavior? Am I moral? Am I monitoring their uh, their school performance? Am I monitoring their social performance? Am I monitoring the role they play within the family? These are objective things, not sub, and you mustn't let them be subjective things, at all or ever, right? 
That is uh, what uh, being objective is. And, and here's the important thing. It is that without, um, without faith, it is much easier to slide into subjectivity. How does faith aid objectivity? Um, it provides certainties. It provides anchors. Faith lets me say, regardless of anything else, there are certain realities that I, I know to be the case. And if those things are absolutely reliable, objective realities, well, then I am on the road to being an objective person and measuring my performance objectively. Uh, if you are in charge of other people in a work environment, you are a supervisor, you're a manager, there are people who report to you, well, then you also need to make sure that you have mastered the objective it is very difficult to work for somebody who is subjective, not objective. And that, by the way, is one of the reasons that many companies are uncomfortable with romantic arrangements between supervisors and those beneath them, because the other workers are the same level as the person who's having a romantic relationship with the boss, well, they feel that the boss is being subjective, not objective. And guess what? If you are having an intimate relationship with another human being, of course you're subjective. <laughs> you're not being objective at all. This is one of the reasons that one of the books that we publish, and you'll see it at our, at our website at rabbidaniellappin.com, is called Hands Off. This may be love. And the point of the book and the reason we published it is because we wanted to help people make objective decisions about marriage, not subjective decisions. Seldom do subjective decisions serve you well. And once there is physical contact between a man and a woman, objectivity is out the window. It's almost impossible for ordinary people to be objective once that is uh, a reality. It's What I'm saying is such an obvious truth that I shouldn't need to belabor it at all. I'm sure every happy warrior understands this uh, almost intuitively. And so uh, what the name of the book is, it's so well titled. Susan Lappin titled the book. And um, hands off, this may be love. In other words, if you think there is any real potential for a, a deep, enduring lifetime relationship here, then for heaven's sake, hands off. Uh, try as much as possible to remain objective so that the decisions that you both make are wise decisions. And that's obviously something really important. So uh, if, uh, if you're a supervisor professionally, then you need to make sure everything is, uh, is objective. If you are an employer, then you need once again to make sure that there obje are objective criteria of success for every single person you hire. Otherwise, there is absolutely no satisfying and satisfactory way for anybody to really function. But when there is a set of objective criteria, then each of us knows exactly what we're supposed to do. We know how we're going to be judged and how we're going to be measured and how our compensation, what our compensation is going to be linked to. 
objectivity is really important. And what is more, objectivity tends towards being a masculine characteristic, whereas subjectivity tends to be a feminine characteristic. Um, obviously, there are times to be subjective. Um, husbands and wives do it all the time. Um, you know, my wife overlooks flaws in me that she wouldn't overlook in somebody who was working for her, for instance, and, and quite rightly, right? Because she's not objective with respect to me. She is subjective. There is a special relationship between the two of us that is different from a relationship that either of us might have with anybody else in the whole world, and that is unique and special. But um, in, in the work environment, obviously, objectivity is crucially important. And, uh, and this is something that you can pick up and it becomes helpful with faith. In other words, faith helps with the masculine side of being. It's no, it's no surprise that in many societies around the world that have already declared war on masculinity, well, those are also the societies that have declared war on faith and religion and God. Right, And so those things go together. It's not that faith has no role for women. I, I don't have to waste time um, issuing that caveat. Uh, of course, of course it does. Um, it's for, it, it, it helps and aids everybody. But um, let me put it this way. If you're a woman and uh, you've got a choice of two guys to marry and you're now going to be hitching your wagon to one of these guys... Um, and, and that's going to shape your life dramatically. And the two guys are exactly the same in every respect. And you know this thought experiment already. And it's a thought experiment because really no two guys are exactly alike. But grant me the hypothesis that uh, you as a woman have a choice of these two guys. And they're both exactly the same. And they're both wonderfully good looking. And they have wonderful senses of humor. And, they're and they both come from big families, which is a big asset. And everything is wonderful, excepting one is a man of faith and one is a secular man. And uh, there is no question that all things being equal, you'll be far better off with a man of faith. Again, I'm not saying that it never happens that men of faith don't do wrong and be, yeah, of course, but uh, generalities are called generalities because they're generally true. And uh, as a woman, you really deeply inside of you whether you know it or not and you probably do you want to be with a masculine man you want to have the tension that comes from femininity meeting masculinity and the more secular a man he is the more vulnerable he is to the feminizing forces of the culture and as a man of faith as a, a man committed um, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to the Bible, uh, the man is far more likely to find the strength to exert his masculinity. And I say exert his masculinity, obviously, heaven forbid, not in a tyrannical form, I don't ever mean that, but in what masculinity means, strength and confidence and, and leadership and uh, ambition and goodness and nobility, 
uh, all the things that uh, are wrapped up in the concept of an honorable man. These things are incredibly valuable to a woman, and your chances of finding it uh, in a man of faith are higher than not. Of course, it's it's difficult for men, as, as the person who, who wrote to me uh, points out, because it's not that easy to find women who understand this point that we're discussing. So, uh, you male happy warriors, uh, the reasons to embrace faith and to make faith an active part of your five Fs, and I know this is not simple. For those of you who, for various reasons, um, are not in that situation naturally and intuitively, um, it is very difficult. Uh, engaging in faith makes you self-conscious, and uh, it, um, it, it can be, uh, you sort of feel eyes on you, and <laughs> yeah, that's, that's part of the idea, of course, and it, it can be awkward, and, and finding a place um, that you're comfortable in uh, can be challenging, but it's not an accident that masculinity is so often a feature of church groups for men. Um, men they have men small study groups, and uh, and invariably, whenever I have met these groups, taught for these groups, given uh, seminars for these groups, there is a healthy air of masculinity in the air. Uh, there really is. There's an atmosphere of masculinity that uh, I think any normal feminine woman would find almost irresistible. And that, that, that's a reality. So, uh, for instance, in a, a silly country like the United States of America, tragically, and uh, in other uh, countries in decline around the world, you won't be surprised to find that masculinity is being uh, maligned and that the culture becomes feminine and so in the United States for instance at the moment uh, it's very much becoming a feminine culture uh, by a substantial majority professional schools in law in medicine in dentistry uh, in, in a number of categories outside of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, uh, but substantially today advant uh, ad advantage to women. In other words, uh, the majority of graduate students in these fields um, are, now, are now women. And where this is headed, well, let me just give you a contrast. And again, you know, somebody asked me if I'm about to move to China, and I can understand why somebody wrote to, to ask me that. And the answer is no. Uh, my home is in the United States of America. I, I still believe that I might be able to play some small, micro, microscopically small part in helping to, to, to rid the toxin and uh, and play a small part in restoring the country. I hope and dream of that. Uh, my family is in the United States. I'm not moving to to China. However, if I if I was uh, 20 years old and uh, I had been smart enough to learn Mandarin, and uh, I did not have family connections uh, for one reason or another, you know, s single child, parents no longer alive. And um, at that point, I want to tell you, yes, I, I actually would think seriously of trying to immigrate to China. I have no idea if that's feasible or if China accepts immigrants. But conceptually, I'm saying 
uh, yeah, it's always nicer to be in a country that's on the ascent, that's going up rather than in one that's going down. And again, you'll notice that China doesn't have America's cultural pressure to feminize everything. Recently, China's government banned effeminate-looking men from appearing on TV, and um, they, uh, they, the, the, the Communist Party issued an instruction to the broadcasters to promote what they call revolutionary culture, and revolutionary culture means masculinity and strength. Uh, they, uh, uh, Xi Jinping is called, he's the president of China. He's actually issued a call for a national rejuvenation to foster a healthier and an even more powerful China. And uh, he and his people began to be very concerned that um, some of the pop stars, mostly from Korea and Japan, popular in, in China, um, are very effeminate they're they're very girlish looking and uh and china look i'm not saying this is ideal and it may be carrying things to an extreme but i want to clarify for you the central thesis that masculinity is necessary as a leadership factor in a family and in a company and in a university and in a culture and in a country and that when an organization becomes feminine, then don't be surprised if that organization uh, descends. And part of it is, I, I expressed earlier, that masculinity celebrates objectivity, whereas femininity is much more subjective. And if you want to build a country or a corporation or a family, you need objective masculine leadership. It's one of the huge differences between a female-led family and a father and husband-led family. So, um, uh, by the way, you should know the Chinese Communist Party, you probably know this already, uh, they recently forbade children under 18 from playing video games for more than three hours a week. American kids play it a day. What's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with it is that um, watching is watching things, and you might say, well, video games are somewhat active, but you are still not outside doing something physically. You're not uh, building, laying bricks or, or framing a house. You're not uh, kicking a ball around if for, for lack of a, a better thought of, of something to do physically. But a video game is intrinsically as feminine as sitting on the couch and watching television. And that's why it is that testosterone of men who watch a lot of TV drops. This has been tested over and over and over again. Uh, the, the masculinity of men who spend a lot of time watching, it, they, it changes. They become feminized. Okay, why is that? And again, um, being uh, you, you, my desire that the show should be something that that uh, children can listen to and that uh, you can choose to listen to with your children i'm going to say something now which is is perhaps um something that you may want sheltered i will in any event try and say it in in adult terms but let me put it this way um that masculinity um at its 
peak moment of expressing its masculinity is an extremely active thing. In fact, we even might refer to it as performance. You know, as a man might sometimes go to a doctor and say, I'm having trouble with my something performance, okay, because it's something done. Whereas for a woman, and I'm not saying it's desirable or great for a woman's role to be utterly passive, obviously, obviously there's an expression of, of joy and, and ecstasy and libido, obviously, but it is fundamentally a receiving mode, whereas the man is a giving mode. It's fundamentally more of a passive mode, whereas the man is engaging in what is more of an active mode. In other words, masculinity is active. Femininity tends to be more passive. And so the Chinese Communist Party quite wisely says, cut it out, no more than three hours a week. Why? Because, and I, again, to the extent they know this and understand it, I have absolutely no idea or no evidence, but it's objectively a wise move because they are diminishing the feminizing effect that sitting in front of a screen has on us, right? You, you, you need to, to understand that and maybe think about it a little bit. But um, uh, he even, I mean, I, I read a piece Again, translated, but I, I imagine it's probably not far off the uh, off accurate. Um, where President um, um, the President Xi Jinping also said, um, he, "Oh, here he says, yeah, listen to this." Um, he asked the Chinese people, "quote to discard their illusions about having an easy life, and instead he dares them to struggle." And then he goes on to protect the country's integrity, security, and sovereignty. But that's what I say to happy warriors. Don't I say dare to struggle? Go ahead. And last week we spoke about moving out of your comfort zone, leaving the comfortable place you're at, and confronting the unknown with joy and confidence and excitement. Dare to struggle. They're doing something very right. Uh, I'm sorry it's another country and not the country in which I live doing something very right. And tragically, the country in which I live right now is doing a whole lot that uh, is, is very, very wrong. That is just how it is. Uh, for those of you who uh, keep up with the news of the United States of America, you will watch that as secularism has swept the country from the beginning of the 1960s, um, what has also happened is objectivity has been dispelled and and basically uh, extirpated from the culture. And so you'll now know that under the guise of getting rid of racism and under the guise of eliminating white supremacy and all these catchphrases, uh, they are getting rid of objectivity in terms of academic merit. And so... Uh, Whereas the entry to um, elite schools in Brooklyn, New York, were very much tied to merit examinations, uh, they are now going to be uh, planning to award places in these, uh, in these schools according to um, racial demographics. In other words, it's now subjective, not objective. 
Subjective means that some authority decrees your skin color is sufficiently tinted. You may get in. Yours is not. You may not. Whereas up till then, it had been objective. Any human being of any shape or size or color or gender or, or wealth status or anything at all, anybody had the ability to work and study and master the material and uh, and succeed do, doing very, very well in the entrance examination and gaining admittance. But no, it is now going to be all subjective. So please be very aware of the importance of objectivity over subjectivity. For instance, just as an example, maybe you or somebody you know, love or care about is looking to enter a business school program, right? Somebody trying to get an MBA, a Master of Business Administration, which has often and for many years been a very good gateway into business achievement. An MBA was a, a good way to get a, a jump start on a business career. And what you might have done, and maybe you or somebody you care about might even do now, is consult the Bloomberg Business Week issue. Every year they do an issue for the best business schools. And uh, the, uh, the ranking measures a number of things. You know, how well graduating students do in, in the various things that are, are going to happen to them. Uh, they, they rank the learning, they rank the networking that a particular business school gives you, they rank the entrepreneurship that, that they learned and, um, and how well they were prepared. And so as a result, when you looked each year at the ranking, they were pretty much standard. You had Stanford, Business School, Harvard, Chicago, uh, Northwestern, Kellogg, um, Wharton School, uh, ranks very high at Pennsylvania, MIT, the Sloan Business School at MIT. Uh, these are all schools always in the top 10. Uh, some of the ones I mentioned are in the top five usually every year. And, uh, and this is one of the reasons that, that people choose or how people choose to go to business school. But now you need to be aware that if you are looking to go to an American business school and you consult the this year's uh, Bloomberg Business Week business school rankings, then you are in for quite a shock because this year they have introduced something completely new. Perhaps I should let the Bloomberg Business Week speak for itself. I quote, for the 2021-22 ranking, we added a fifth index for U.S. schools, right? What are the four they've always used? Business school education, compensation, learning, networking, entrepreneurship. Uh, compensation, learning, networking, and entrepreneurship. Those, those are the way, how they rank. In other words, what impact it has on your pay, uh, how well you learned technically the running of a business, how well the networking worked, and entrepreneurship, which I would think are exactly the things you ought to um, base the ranking of a business school on. But says Bloomberg this year, for the 21-22 ranking, we added a fifth index for United States schools, diversity. For the first time, schools are providing data on race and ethnicity and gender in their classes in a standardized way we can measure. 
Anyway, not surprisingly, you won't be shocked to hear that this has turned the listings completely upside down. So as a public service to any of you who are thinking of applying to business school or anyone you know or care about applying to business school, do not use this year's Bloomberg Business Week rankings. It's nonsense because they've replaced objectivity with subjectivity. It's now all a question of race and gender. Karl Marx would be sitting up in his grave, drinking a toast and smiling at his pal Dead Engels, and he'd be saying, Engels, my brother, we have won. In the United States, we have finally won. It's taken a hundred years, but we've done it. And, um, and that's what they'd be saying, because business schools are now ranked in a different way. So Wharton is way down because it doesn't have enough diversity. But I assure you, Wharton remains an outstanding business school. Pay no attention to the current issue of Bloomberg Business Week business school rankings. It just doesn't make any sense at all. So uh, objectivity is important. And uh, it so happens that faith is a really helpful way to help generate your ability to be objective and um, and and to and by the way whether you're male or female you need to bring out your masculine side very often for many many different things if you're helping your child with schoolwork the feminine side of you whether you're male man or woman the feminine side of you is going to be saying oh this kid has tried so hard he's really really tried i mean all the other kids are out playing and he's been slogging away at the stupid dumb homework and um and and he's just not getting it right and you're going to wonder and yet the objective side of you the male side of you is going to say you know what um the the, the teacher's probably although who knows these days but most likely the teacher's going to care about the right answer and the right methodology uh, effort doesn't count and shouldn't by the way performance is what matters in the real world and that's all not your skin color and not your effort, and not how hard it was for you. None of those things actually matter. People have to really understand that, of course. And uh, faith is an incredibly useful tool. In other words, as you build your faith, you are also building your ability to intuitively think objectively, which is enormously valuable. So, not surprisingly, uh, as America becomes a more feminized country and a more secular country, because faith goes along with objectivity and um, secularism goes along with subjectivity, um, faith helps strengthen genuine masculinity, which isn't simple, by the way. It's not easy. And, um, uh, and, and secularism accommodates to femininity. But when you take away the objectivity, of course, um, it's it's not surprising, is it, that while America is worried not about winning wars, not about uh, uh, about the objectivity of the military, in other words, tangible objectives, it was a terrible thing, right? The the object of a military is to destroy the enemy. I don't know how to put that more gently. <laughs> I just don't. The object of having a military is to destroy the enemy, to utterly eliminate their ability to wage war and harm us that's what a military is supposed to be doing and uh, that could have been done in afghanistan in the first couple of months after 2011 2001 pardon me um, but instead they got going on nation building 
have you noticed how um, subjective nation building like it's easy to know when you win a war militarily right when japan signed the sur- signed the surrender on the decks of the uss missouri in tokyo bay in 1945 that was the military having won. When Germany signed an unconditional surrender and Hitler committed suicide, that was winning. Because when you make a military objective masculine target, then it's easy to know when you've won. But if you turn the mission of the military into nation building, then you've got hardened marines building classrooms for little girls it's very nice but it could be done by some ngo it doesn't need to be done by the united states marines and by all of this focus on femininity and subjectivity instead of uh, all they're doing is talking about toxic masculinity they're not promoting masculinity like the chinese are they are attacking masculinity and in addition they're coming up with all the new genders they claim to have discovered They're obsessed with making sure that men can claim to be women and women can claim to be men. And as a result, our society in the United States of America has become more feminized and more infantilized. But you, who are concerned with your fitness and you're concerned with your family and you're concerned with your finances, you will understand the huge, immeasurable value of masculinity the huge value of objectivity. And if you're a man or a woman, as I said earlier, man or woman, there's still a time to to allow the masculine side of you to, to gain dominance. You have to have that. Now, here is something that I think you're going to like. Um, community is important. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's, that's a sort of catch-all for family and for friendships. But um, community is also helpful when you have a goal. Let, let's imagine uh, you have a fitness goal. It's really, really useful to have a fitness community, right? A group of men, if you're a man, a group of women, if you're a woman. And yes, they do need to be sexually segregated, if you don't mind. Um, a group of other people like you who are working on the same physical goals and so on those days where you just don't feel like exercising you know you have to because the the other women there are waiting for you or the other guys are waiting for you there community is really really helpful Uh, i even encourage the formation of small group communities for financial objectives because again um, it's you know it's very very difficult there are times where you want to do what your heart wants to do and your head is telling you no this is not part of my focus on finances it's so great to be able to call up a couple of other people that that you work with on together together on this and to to share and say look i you know what i don't i i really want to do this my kid wants this thing and i really want to make the child smile what do you think you know and and you have the support of a community and so uh, for that reason we started the whole happy warriors community you know and uh, right now we have a brand new basic membership so that anybody can become a happy warrior and gain access to the happy warrior community so um, here it is the the website is we happy warriors.com 
right? You know how to spell warrior, right? W-A-R-R-I-O-R and put an S on the end for the plural and put we happy in front of it. We happy warriors, one word, dot com. We happy warriors dot com. And then you look for the happy warriors basic membership. And uh, I'd like you to come on board. We're, we're all in this together. We're all focusing on our five F's. It's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would be able to do it. Uh, we need to be warriors because it's a fight. It's a challenge. You're fighting your own internal resistance. You're fighting the culture. Sometimes you even have to end up fighting your family members. Not, you know, not grievously or anything, but in terms of swimming upstream against the, the cultural flow. You've got to be a salmon. And uh, it's so much easier to do it as part of a community. So um, join me and let us gain strength through our numbers, okay? It's wehappywarriors.com. And then look for the Happy Warriors basic membership. And that way you're able to join in. Um, We've changed it so that you can comment and communicate easily with one another. And uh, it's, a, it's a great place for forming sub-communities, uh, for finding other happy warriors who are focused on exactly the same challenges you are right now. And, uh, and the whole goal of this is we're trying to foster a community atmosphere. We're not big fans of uh, some of the, out, the platforms out there. You know what they are. Uh, we're not huge fans of them for what for many of you would be known and obvious reasons. Um, we, we rather have something independent so as that uh, people who are genuinely committed to transforming their lives through the 5F rejuvenation program, um, you can do that by becoming part of the Happy Warriors membership community, and um, you'll be able to do all the things that can be best done with numbers, with a community, so much more easily than individually by ourselves. Um, that, I mean, that's a reality. You know, God created us to connect and to communicate and to cooperate, and to collaborate, and through all that, to be able to create. And that is a really important thing, to connect, and to communicate, and to collaborate, and to cooperate, and thereby to create. So um, make a note of this website. It's not the usual website, rabbidaniellappin.com, but it's wehappywarriors.com. Go there and uh, seek out the basic membership, which you will find uh, easy to join and immediately um, makes the world a lot less lonely. That's what I found, and uh, I know that's what you'll find as well. Basic membership in the wehappywarriors.com. Go there and join us. So important is it to have community. So important is it to be able to connect and to communicate and to collaborate and to cooperate and to create, right? Because it's not possible to create alone. Please absorb that into your, into your whole being. Make that a part of your understanding of how the world really works. Don't fool yourself into believing that you can be disconnected from other people and you're still capable of creating. 
I don't care whether it's a piece of art, a piece of music. I don't care if it's a, uh, a business. You want to create a business. I don't care if it's a product or an invention or a discovery. Maybe it's a baby. But don't for one moment think you can do any of those things alone. Every act of creativity requires connection with somebody else. And here's the beautiful thing. Objectivity assists in connection. Subjectivity fights connection. Because if everybody, it's obvious, right? If everybody is being subjective, then everybody sees the world the way he or she individually sees it, which means that in the same way that we each have our own fingerprints, we each have our own visions of the world, and there's no way we can connect because we have no common feature. We have no bridge to one another because we're all subjectively looking at things from our own point of view. But the more we acknowledge certain things as objective truths and realities, the easier it is to communicate and connect with other people. So as societies become more secular, they become more subjective. And as they become more secular and more subjective, they also become more isolated. And so not surprisingly, and this one is so funny, I've really, I've had to say this to myself like a half a dozen times before to get my humor under control so I don't burst out laughing because this is a serious show, right? I'm, I'm, I'm telling you things that are true. I'm telling you permanent principles about how the world really works. And it just, it defeats the objective if I start giggling and chuckling and bursting into laughter. And I'm really, really going to try not to do that. But I have to tell you this, and that is that uh, England, the United Kingdom, recognizing this problem that uh, people are becoming more and more disconnected from one another um, as part of the move towards secularism that England has followed every bit as aggressively as the United States has. Uh, the uh, the Anglican Church is all but dead and gone. The Archbishop of Canterbury is a social worker. Um, not surprisingly, loneliness and isolation have become a huge problem, as in the recognized in the United States as well. Accepting that there is a very powerful. Uh, evangelical Christian community. There's a very powerful Latter-day Saints church. There is a very powerful uh, Torah-observant Jewish community, much smaller, but it's real and it's strong. Uh, These things are not present in the United Kingdom. So in that sense, loneliness and isolation by the spreading of secularism and uh, subjectivity, well, guess what? They've got to solve it, right? Because the important rule for governments is don't stand there, do something. I wish politicians would take the opposite um, uh, slogan. Don't just do something, stand there. Please, don't do anything. Uh, What did British politicians do? Well, they formed a new ministry in the prime minister's cabinet, and they appointed a loneliness ministry. Okay, all right, I'm trying. I'm really trying not to laugh. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, maybe maybe this will be edited out by our team and uh, because it's totally unprofessional. This is totally unprofessional. I've, I've got to tell this just to, the United Kingdom has appointed a loneliness minister. It's a government level. It's a senior government level position. And um, the loneliness minister, uh, who happens to be a baroness, baron, has said, it's more important than ever to take action. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, pardon me. You must forgive me, please. 
treat treat me generously and don't don't hurl abuse and think evil thoughts about me i i really i really can't help it like what on earth is a government office and a government minister of loneliness gonna do i mean what are they gonna do hold bingo evenings to get people together it's so hilarious and um and that's what you know as if government can government caused the problem how on earth can government do anything to solve this problem? All right, I'm, I'm going to stop talking about the Britain, Great Britain's Minister of Loneliness. Uh, just know that it's true. I wasn't pulling your leg. I'm, I'm not teasing you just to get a laugh. It's absolutely true. The United Kingdom has a, um, a ministerial level position, the Minister of Loneliness. It's, it's, like an, it's like an Aldous Huxley novel or a George Orwell novel. It's hard to believe, but yes, these are the things that are happening. Having caused the problem in the first place, they are now going to use more of the same solution that caused the problem to... S okay, it's enough. I, I, I've got to go on to other better things. All right, on to something much more serious. Um, I'm going to read uh, one or two letters to you that uh, I think you'll find as interesting as I did. Um, obviously, I'm stripping out anything that could even remotely um, identify the writer. So I'm not saying where they're from or anything at all. I'm just saying it's somebody um, who writes, Dear Rabbi Lappin, I routinely listen to your podcasts and I appreciate the topics you select and your profound wisdom. And um, it's, I just want to comment, please don't for a moment think it's my wisdom. I don't claim it to be my wisdom. I wish I was that smart, and but it isn't. It's ancient Jewish wisdom that uh, I'm very fortunate and privileged to have had wonderful teachers. And uh, I now enjoy being a conduit uh, for all of you so that you can all access something which is your rightful legacy as well, not just for Jews. This information, by the way, it used to be known to people um, like really, really well. Uh, universities, until not that long ago, all taught Hebrew. It was regarded as one of the classics. Uh, people understood these things, but uh, now, of course, it's not the case. So um, the, the, this person writes and says, I, I shall endeavor uh, to not pontificate too much in order that we might make progress. I am single and always have been, not for lack of trying. My plan was to marry and have a family, in 30 years, I've utterly failed at even getting past the first step, which is very unusual for me. I have a wall full of advanced degrees in science and engineering. I've been very successful in my career. I've been responsible for millions in sales of my employer products to customers all over the world, and I've accumulated much investment of my own. I also do extensive volunteer work, and I know many other single men who have similar stories. Um, now, I do agree that exceptions do not make the rule. But I cannot agree that just because a male is single does not mean he is a worthless scourge upon society. I've written back to this person, by the way, and thanked him for his letter. And I did say that I absolutely would never call a single person a worthless scourge upon society. I never do that. I have referred to single people as social dynamite. <laughs> and that's using the words of George Gilder. But um, a worthless scourge upon society? No. Anyway, this person writes, could he improve his contribution? Probably, and one way might be having a wife and family. But if women won't have us, what are we to do? There is much that can be done without a wife or family, even though it might not be what we are looking for. I have had to make many unplanned changes in my life due to challenges God put in my lap. 
I gladly embraced them and made the necessary changes to perform what God asked me to do. And then he goes on to describe family members who became ill and had uh, bad things happen and how he abandoned his career for 10 years to take care of family members. And so then he says, while I do not disagree with your point, I believe you have oversimplified your position and denigrated many who fit the profile of being single men. I know several others who made similar choices to mine. We were following your five F's and now now find ourselves denigrated because we are not as successful in the marriage department. I do not know why women won't have me or the other single men I know. I see drunks and drug addicts and philanderers and all sorts of others chosen over us every day. I'm not perfect. I'm open to any criticism you may have that offers insight and enables me to make the necessary changes to become successful. And uh, just me again, I'm, I obviously don't know nearly enough about this uh, person writing to be able to make any suggestions yet. I have some thoughts, but at the moment I don't know. I don't, I don't know anything. Uh, he writes, I'm willing to address my faults, but it becomes difficult when the particular faults causing the problem are not understood. I have numerous female friends. They are all married. I know their husbands and we all get along. I've asked them and I do not get an answer as to why females find me unattractive. I know I'm not handsome. I'm in excellent shape, but I'm not an athlete, nor am I over six foot tall. I treat people well. And he, you know, he describes other things about himself, all very, very positive. Uh, I'm leaving them out because some of them identify the part, you know, where he lives. In, in my view, you often imply what males must do to become the man a woman wants, but you never provide specifics. While I had a father, he was absent most of the time. He came from a terrible situation and his mother died when he was very young, so I did not have a father role model. That is probably one issue. I've spent thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours through years of therapy working on that and many other things. So I've not sat on my hands doing nothing about this. Therapy is not a cure-all, but can be helpful. Likely other things are needed too. I'm active in my church and actively participate in a small group Bible study. Many of the men have upbringing similar to mine, but they have some, somehow been successful in creating families. I shall continue to listen. I appreciate your wisdom, including on this topic, but I think a more useful approach would be to provide some guidance on fixing the problem instead of simply pointing it out. Um, fair enough. I mean, that's that's a fair enough criticism. I accept it. I wrote back to this gentleman, and I uh, I gave him from my transcript exactly what I did say about single men. And um, look, if I say that uh, most acts of terror around the world have been committed by believers in Muhammad, that's not the same as saying most believers in Muhammad commit acts of terror. That's simply not. If I say that uh, most criminal activities and most acts of violence, in the United States at least, according to the FBI statistics, are committed by single men, um, then um, that's not saying all single men commit crime. And I certainly never said that, uh, you know, that single men are a worthless scourge upon society. Obviously not. Um, and as he correctly says, uh, he, he, the exception is what proves the rule. He obviously is an exception. I don't know enough to say what the problem is. I don't know how old he is. I don't know if he's ever had a real relationship with a woman at all. Maybe, you know, could it be that he's never had a relationship with a woman at all? And that that could be an issue. Um, there, there are a number of things that could be the case here. By the way, if any of you hearing me read this letter have some thoughts, please write to me, would you, and let me know. In this case, the website is not wehappywarriors.com. That's in order to join Happy Warriors Basic Membership. But uh, you go to uh, rabbidaniellappin.com 
And there, not only can you see our book, the um, hands off this may be love but you can also write to me and and tell me you know anything you think about anything you've you've here revealed in this letter anyway i've written to the gentleman i gave him nine important questions for him to answer if he wanted me to uh, react he has uh, hitherto not yet written back uh, at all so um that is that letter and you know what there's one more i also I did want to tell you about, and, um, mm, uh, all right, well, that one, I, I'm going to have to uh, look for it for just a second. Um, okay, I'm, I'm assuming you find these letters as interesting as I do. I hope you do. I'm not going to do a lot of them. I'm not going to take a lot of time, but because uh, I still have one more thing to tell you. Um, dear Rabbi Lappin and Susan, I've been an avid follower of your weekly podcasts, teachings, thought tools, you name it. I haven't missed one since I started listening to you four years ago. I've bought almost all your books and lectures, read and listened to them uncountable times. The ideas from ancient Jewish wisdom you share have literally saved my life. I'm sorry, may have literally saved my life. I came across your teachings by what I now know better not to call a coincidence, but divine guidance. It was a very difficult period, very difficult period of my life. I was depressed, suicidal, dirt broke, jobless, confused about life and God. I was single and uh, I was a 27, 28 year old male. I'm 32 now, happily married to a great, beautiful woman. We have an amazing son. I'm not dirt broke. I have a healthy relationship with God, better friends, and I'm growing every day in worthwhile career achievements. Ergo, growing every day in my five Fs. I tell you all that because the one single most significant thing I can put my finger on as to what helped me transition from that very dark place to this much better place is the perspective you share. I'm eternally grateful to you and Susan and to all those who support you behind the scenes. I came across this video on YouTube about solid state batteries possibly entering. Okay, that's that's something else. While I've heard you speak so many times about lithium ion batteries, I don't think I've heard you speak and it goes on to these. I know you're very busy, so I'll exercise my muscle of self-restraint and end this letter here. Otherwise, I'd like to very much continue blabbering about all the great things your teachings have done to my life and family. Your teachings, more than anything else, influenced my decision to get married when I did, the person I chose for a partner, and so many other choices, which, as far as I can tell, are the best choices ever so far in my life. Um, Happy Warriors, I don't think I have to describe to you what a letter like that makes me feel. Um, it's it's such a validation of the time and effort and energy I put into my work. Um, what can I tell you? It's uh, I'm profoundly grateful to this individual for having taken the time and trouble to have written a letter to me that that is so um, searingly self-honest and uh, in which he so candidly acknowledges the role that ancient Jewish wisdom and the 5F rejuvenation program have uh, done for for his life. So thank you for writing that letter. Let me do one more and then we'll finish off. Uh, I I wish I could share with you like all the letters I get, but uh, but that's not possible. But but I think you'll find this one as interesting as I did as well. Um, Dear Rabbi Daniel Lappin, I write you from the beautiful city of and obviously I'm not going to tell you what city it is, and then he says, in the hope of getting yet another pin on your map. Uh, Rabbi, I'm a faithful listener of your podcast for over two years now, and I'm now mentoring a group of younger happy warriors here in our city. Uh, We need your input on two questions. 
The reason I write is that I feel I do not have grounded and satisfactory answers for myself, and I feel also for the other men in our group who look up to me for a good example. I believe that the answers will benefit the listeners also of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin podcast. Uh, I am a 45-year-old happy warrior, divorced father of two daughters. I work two jobs, and he he tells the jobs he is in, and uh, they're impressive. I came to know you while searching for details about, and then he, 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 he told me about the avenue that brought him an area of research that put him in touch with me, and so back to the group Younger Happy Warriors that I mentor. Uh, At the outbreak of the pandemic, we started meeting every Saturday for breakfast to check in with each other about progress on our five Fs. By the way, it's like I said, right? Have a community. It's it's really, really valuable and uh, and does so much. And um, he goes on and he says, um, um, time and space prevent me from detailing the blessings and stupendous personal growth that the Lord has brought about in this group. Now, more men and even women want to join us. Um, here is my first question. What should be the stance of happy warriors in the face of forced vaccination and digital vax passports that are unfolding a bit everywhere in, around the world? Personally, I decided to reject vaccination and the digital passport. Reasons are multiple, but overall I resolved not to capitulate to tyranny. Yet now I worry that pretty soon I may end up losing my job at the university or even even being put out of my company. I don't fear so much being ridiculed, but I fear not being able to feed my daughters and pay for their school their schooling. Moreover, I fear I may be giving a bad advice bad advice to the men in my group. Uh, and so he asks, you know, what do I say about that? Um, and the answer I gave him, I, I responded, the answer I gave him was that I don't believe that this is the hill to die on. Uh, I, I grit my teeth. I uh, personally, I, every molecule in my being resents the idea of, you know, the president of the United States or Anthony Fauci or any other minuscule little moral midgets. Uh, imposing a mandate on me as to what I have to do with my body, whether I should vaccinate or not, and the the empty um, cavern that is used for validation is public health, um, when all they're doing is again, you know, driving wedges between people and uh, making it impossible for people to connect. I, I hate every bit of it, but it's not the hill to die on, uh, for a number of reasons which I explained to, you, and I said that. Even I accept that I may have no option. I mean, my my business travel requirements, it may compel me. I may literally have to go ahead and do it. And if so, I will. Um, uh, I don't think I should. I don't want to. Uh, I have COVID antibodies, but nobody's going to pay any attention to any of that. It's going to simply be you either have the documentation or you don't. So uh, I answered him that and I said that... uh, uh, you know, for, for somebody who's got responsibilities with the family and other responsibilities, I don't think this is the hill that it's worth fighting tyranny on. I think it, th- there may be other times in the future where my answer will be different. But on this one, you know, uh, you just have to bow your head to tyranny and uh, recognize that freedom is not one of the five Fs. There are many times we have to live with uh, without the freedom we would prefer. 
and there's nothing we can do about it, to be honest. Uh, but there is something we can do about all our five Fs, the real five Fs. Um, he goes on, he says, the second question is, how should a man that is no longer young approach dating? I'm 45 years old, but how do I court a woman? I have the feeling that your advice in this regard mostly applies to young men and women in a church-believing community. Let me explain. Let's say I meet a woman and ask her out. She understands that we are knowing each other, but she will expect some move physically speaking. At least she will after a couple of dates. If I disclose to her that we are to see each other towards something more serious and that this implies no physical intimacy, I will sound awkward and this will be a turn-off to her. Bringing the subject clearly will make my date think I'm rushing things. She herself has not had enough time to get the information to decide whether she wants to get more serious or not. If an alternative I do nothing, she'll be confused and inclined to think I don't like her or worse, and listen to him on this, it's a good point, worse that I don't have the masculine drive she expects. In any case, likely there will be no third date. This is an unfortunate pattern, but it nowadays seems to be very much how the how the world really works. I observe that typical church dating courting advice does not work very well when trying to approach women that do not go to church, nor does it work very well for those that go to church uh, for that matter, but that's another discussion. Church-believing communities in my city are small, uh, and so on and so forth. He goes, and um, uh, that brings a, this, the second question is important since the foundation of our men's group is this to inspire men to work on themselves to become better men to find a wife and to get married um, and uh, let's just see if the, the, if the rest of the letter is personal. I will add two final pieces of information that may be relevant. First, as you might expect, the men currently in my group have been following your advice of working on themselves to become the right person. Thus, most of them are successful in attracting interesting ladies. Second, I myself have been trying my best to keep myself pure before God and declining offers for intimate encounters. I believe that God will bless me with the right person. I do not want to short-circuit his holy plan. This has been very hard. No, he said very, very hard, but I feel I have the responsibility towards my group of happy warriors and hold myself to the highest standards I possibly can. Thanks so much for reading through Rabbi Lappin. I hope we'll get an answer from you. Uh, you really are, I should say, our rabbi and will be for many years to come. God bless you and your family and so on and so forth. Best wishes. A terrific letter, right? Don't you think? Isn't that wonderful? Um, I, I really, really terrific, and uh, and perhaps the last point for today is uh, I want to explain uh, something that may seem obvious and elementary uh, to you, particularly if you are um, on the younger side, and that is that you probably went to school, and in school you probably took something called social studies. And, um, and I want to point out that if you went to school before 1962, you didn't do social studies. It did not exist. You did geography, and you also did history. But um, there is no longer geography and history being taught. As a matter of fact, the removal of history in schools parallels the removal of monuments. Have you noticed what's been happening in the United States for the last two years? Breaking down of monuments under the guise of white supremacy, but it's not. They're also breaking down monuments of extraordinary leaders, and all they're trying to do is destroy a connection of Americans with their history. 
Again, this is a very basic model of secular fundamentalism. It was something that was taught assiduously by Karl Marx, and that is separate the people from their religion and from their history, and you can then make them do whatever you like. All you got to do is separate your people from their history and from their religion, and then you can do whatever you like. And so um, geography and history are replaced by social studies. Well, again, here's the difference between geography and history on the one hand and social studies on the other. The difference is that geography and history are objective. They're about facts. They're about real things. Social studies is subjective. By the way, I would strongly recommend that you seriously distrust anything that has the word social in front of it. Social justice? Watch out, that's more fingers in your wallet. Social security? You'd be a fool to trust that. Social studies? Meaningless. It means that there is no way to measure teacher competence because there is no such thing as an objective test in social studies, because social studies can be whatever the teacher wants it to be. It is entirely subjective, and what it does is remove history and geography. Now, I've told you what the advantage to centralized tyranny is of removing history. If you can strip the history of a people out of their hearts and out of their minds, well, your power as a tyrant is almost limitless. But what about geography? Why is it that if you went to school before the 60s, you studied geography and you could speak about different countries in the world and you could fill in the countries on a map? Today, university students in America do not, university students don't know their history and they don't know anything about geography of the world, nothing, and of America, nothing. And, uh, but it used to be that if you did geography in school, and I went to school in Africa, and I was far from a good student, I'll, I'll confess, but even I remember doing geography, and I remember getting marked on being able to identify nameless shapes on an atlas of the world and say which country they are, and I needed to start learning about their population, how many people they were. We even had to learn about their economies, what their economies were based on. We had to learn about what their, um, their average domestic product was. There were lots of things we learned about countries. And why was that stripped away? Why is it that if your child goes to school now, they're not doing geography? Well, one of the reasons is, one of the reasons is because a theory emerged in the first part of the 20th century, particularly the 40s and 50s, uh, a theory emerged that um, the way to explain why some countries succeed and others don't is because certain countries lie between the Tropic of Cancer in the north and the Tropic of Capricorn in the south, and countries in between those tropical extremes can never succeed. That's all there is to it. They just cannot succeed. And generally speaking, all these countries between the tropics are undeveloped and third world countries. 
and uh, they didn't want to teach that anymore because it appeared to be objective. Now, I'm going to explain for, in a moment why it's a lie and it's not true, but I do understand them thinking that, particularly in the 1940s and 1950s. And um, one of the ideas of secular fundamentalism is subjectivity, like I've been telling you today. And uh, anything that is objective, like a, a, an economic theory, right? Why do you not hear the simple fact that printing money produces inflation? Because they don't like anything objective. They want everything to be subjective because secularism and feminization and subjectivity are three things that go together. And as long as we're going to make economics totally subjective, well, then we can say almost anything we like. It's this theory or that theory. And so a modern monetary theory, MMT, means that um, the government can always print money because the government controls the printing press. So no harm there. It's not true. There is an objective, factual reality that when governments print money, they devalue it and they end up causing calamity. Just look at Venezuela or look at Zimbabwe of a few years ago or many other countries. This is very simple to understand, but only if you're willing to, ob to accept objective reality. And, um, and so geography seemed to suggest too much of an objective reality. And so they dismissed it. They would no longer teach geography. Uh, as you know, the Tropic of Cancer is the northernmost point on the Earth's surface where the sun appears directly overhead. If you go north of that, the sun is never directly overhead. And so in the United Kingdom, in Norway, in Italy, in Scandinavia, even at midday, the sun is at its highest point, but it's slightly to the south. Tropic of Capricorn is the same thing in the Southern Hemisphere, and if you go south of the Tropic of Capricorn, say to Johannesburg, South Africa, uh, and you look up in the sky, even in the middle of summer at, uh, at high noon, the sun will be at its highest point in the sky, but that highest point will not be overhead. It'll be slightly to the north. And uh, it's only in the tropics, it's only in that belt around the globe between the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn where the sun can actually be seen to be directly overhead. Obviously, that's why it is hotter in those called tropical regions. And there was this entire theory of economic uh, belief. More recently, Jared Diamond in Guns, Germs and Steel has, has suggested something similar. Um, and... Again, on the left, in leftist academia, this is probably still believed and accepted. And the reality, of course, is that um, it has absolutely nothing to do with the weather. They struggled for years, you know, dealing with this question of why is it that uh, Western Europe thrives financially, but in the tropics, countries are all undeveloped. And they said, well, it must be the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn. These people are like witch doctors. They're actually professors in universities, but their level of sophistication is that of witch doctors. What I mean by that is they deliberately exclude any alternative information that could explain the phenomenon they are observing because the uh, outside information disturbs them more profoundly than the confusion and falseness disturbs them. What am I talking about? Well, they're saying we'll see uh, Europe um, s progressed and made all the strides, but how do you explain countries around the world in the tropics, they are third world and undeveloped, how do you explain it? Well, it's got to be the weather. 
cold weather makes people more productive and more active warm weather makes people more somnambulant and so they don't do anything well that would be nice if it would and now I'm, I'm telling you one of the major uh, attacks and refutations of the silly theory and that is that how does that explain why it was that until about the 10th century nothing was happening in europe europe was extremely undeveloped about you know not not substantially better off than uh, many parts of the tropics what's the what's the reality and my friends the reality is a disturbing truth that universities would rather reject they would rather be stuck with falseness which they continue to teach their students rather than telling them the truth the truth is very simple the truth is christianity it's as simple as that when uh, christianity arrived in europe and began to spread that was when development began and when protestantism began in europe about 1500 500 years later uh, that's when it really took off and it's really very noticeable and the proof of it is that those countries in the tropics and i think i'll do a show an entire show on this in the future though we're about at the end of the time i want to go for for today those countries that have adopted christianity in which christianity is growing even though they are in the tropics are racing ahead with uh, with incredible speed and um, gaining progress in the economic developmental race doing phenomenally well uh, countries that are out of the tropics but that have abandoned faith as a centerpiece of their culture they are in decline regardless of the fact that they're outside the tropics just as countries that are in the tropics but have adopted christianity as central to their culture are thriving and growing and progressing so it's as simple as that but uh, geography is no longer taught in schools take away the objective prefer the subjective and so my friends please remember the importance of objectivity as you pursue your five f's as you work on your faith and yes it's important because faith helps you with objectivity which is so important for your finances and so important for your friendships very hard to have friends with people to be friends with people each of whom is everyone's subjective how, how do you maintain a friendship the answer is you don't and that is why in the soviet union and other extremely communist societies um, people didn't trust each other how can you trust somebody who has a totally different view of reality than you do and so um, uh, faith and finances and friendship and family and fitness uh, objectivity is really important uh, masculinity is under threat and we need it urgently uh, obviously women have to have a masculine side for, uh, in themselves there's a part of a life of a woman that requires objectivity but there's also a lot that requires subjectivity uh, for a man most of a man's life uh, particularly in terms of his ambition and his achievements uh, because as i've taught you in the past and i, I quoted camille Paglia recently who astoundingly uh, said the same thing i was so amazed by that it was it took my breath away um women are men have to perform that's right and if you have to perform then objectivity is your friend so um 
please stop by. You've got two websites to remember now. Don't remember them. Bookmark them. One of them is wehappywarriors.com. Go there and join the community. Become one of us in the with a basic membership of We Happy Warriors. And I look forward to seeing you there. And that's where we're going to communicate and connect and collaborate and create and build our community. And uh, also at rabbidaniellappin.com. That's a good way to communicate with me. You just go to the About Us tab where you'll read all about uh, Susan Lappin and me. And uh, you'll also be able to contact us right there. I get to see your letter, and I always appreciate them regardless of whatever you say. And um, also, if you want to take a look at um, the book, which is called Hands Off, This May Be Love, well, you'd go to rabbidaniellappin.com. You'd look for it over there. So, uh, my dear friends and erstwhile happy warriors, I want to wish you a week of incredible progress and growth in your relationships with your family, with your friendships, with your fitness, your finances, and your faith. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Till next week, God bless.